If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at uh, three verses in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you ought to that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Father, I pray that you help us understand these words given by the Holy Spirit, that we would be instructed, that we would be empowered. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a war zone, spiritually. That's the reality of the time in which we exist. I want you to imagine for a moment, you're about to go to war against a strong enemy. There's going to be a lot of fighting. There's going to be wounding that happens. What's going to drive you? What's going to give you confidence as you enter battle? If you look back at uh, the history of different wars and battles fought, the armies that were most valiant... The, the, those who had the most confidence, the most, uh, uh, boldness going into battle, what was the difference for those armies opposed to those who were afraid and are defeated? And many people are going to point to the general in charge. There are certain generals throughout history that had a knack, even when they had lesser men and the lesser army, were able to build such confidence in their men that a smaller army could defeat a greater army through good strategy and through boldness and confidence. Thomas Jonathan Jackson. Many of you probably don't recognize that name, but if I was to call him by his nickname, Stonewall Jackson, your ears might perk up. He's considered one of the greatest generals in American history. He was a general that served under Robert E. Lee in the Confederate Army uh, during the Civil War. Uh, he was one of the most gifted tactical commanders in U.S. history. 
Generals today study his tactics that he used back then. Uh, he was a motivator. He could get his troops to fight with such confidence. Uh, I looked up some of his uh, most famous quotes to just give you an idea what type of general he was. Listen to uh, some of these quotes. My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to always be ready no matter when it may overtake me. What if troops were listening to someone who spoke like that? Here's another thing he said. I have so fixed the habit in my mind that I never raise a glass of water to my lips without a moment's asking of God's blessing on it. I never seal a letter without putting a word of prayer under the seal. I never take a letter from the post without a brief sending of my thoughts heavenward. I never change classes in the section of the room without a minute's petition on the cadets who go out and those who come in. What if you were ready to go into battle and your general was General Stonewall Jackson? Here's another quote in regard to tactics. Always mystify, mislead, and surprise the enemy. If possible, when you strike, overcome him. Never let up in pursuit so long as your men have strength to follow. For an army routed, if hotly pursued, becomes panic-stricken and then can be destroyed by half their number. The other rule is this. Never fight against heavy odds. If any if by any possible maneuvering, you can hurl your own force on only a part of it, and that the weakest part are and, and by the weakest part of your enemy and crush it, such tactics will win every time. And a small army may thus destroy a larger one in detail, and repeated victory will make it invincible. Going to war would be scary. But what if your general was a man of honor, a man of confidence, a man who talked about his confidence in the midst of battle? Unfortunately, Stonewall Jackson ended up getting shot by friendly fire from the Confederate army. He ended up having his arm amputate, amputated. And uh, he then contracted pneumonia and he died eight days later. Um, his death was a severe setback for the Confederacy, affecting not only its military prospects, but also the morale of its army and of its general public. Jackson was the type of guy that when he was gone, the army struggled. Not just because his tactics weren't there, but his morale was not there. Why has God 
left you and I, if you're trusting in Christ down here on this earth? What is the battle at hand and how will we fight it? If you remember from a few weeks ago, we looked at verses 13 through 15 uh, in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to look at those, I want to read those and get us in the context of, of these verses. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the battle plan. There's the goal. That you love your neighbor as yourself. You will never face a tougher battle than doing that. God has called you to selflessly love others. To have love drive your life and not selfishness and sinful desire. And then he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You have this young church, newly Christians, with false teachers who come in and say, if you want a ha to have a safe environment, you need to live according to the law. You can't trust by faith in Christ alone. You can't just live in the power of the Spirit. And Paul warns Galatians, realize what's at stake. You will destroy yourselves by your own selfishness unless you begin to win the battle. Unless love starts to win, Sovereign Grace Church would devour itself. Unless God is helping us win the battle through the power of the Spirit, the destruction will come from within our own hearts. So, in verse 16, in the verses we're going to look at today, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. We are in a battle zone. Right at the beginning of this letter, Paul tells uh, uh, his people, that Jesus Christ has come to deliver us from what? This present evil age. Our commander and our king has come. And he's delivered a blow to the enemy. But the battle rages. Victory is sure, but the battle rages. It's not a time that we let up. We live in a present evil age. And if we do, we need to ask, well, what's the battle plan? How do we live now? 
You know, if I were to ask you, if you were to look at verse 16 and say, what's Paul asking? Everyone can see it clearly, but I say, walk by the Spirit. There's the command. But let me ask you, Christian, what does that mean? Walk by the Spirit. As I was sitting there this week, I thought, you know, here's a phrase we all say, we all, oh yeah, I believe that. We need to walk by the Spirit. Well, what does it mean? What does Paul mean when he says, walk by the Spirit and you will put to death the deeds of the flesh? I, you know, I'm amazed at my own lack of understanding. How long have I been a Christian and yet I didn't have a quick answer to put down on paper what it means to walk by the Spirit? So that's what we want to think through. First thing, what's the plan? What's the battle? If I tell you, you live in a war zone and that you need to fight, the first question to ask is, well, what's the plan? And Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you'll win. The goal is love. The thing that keeps you from love is your flesh. And what Paul means by flesh is not this body of skin, but what he means is the evil desires, the sinful desires that live inside your heart that are common to mankind. If you walk by the Spirit, you will put to death. You'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Rather, you will put it to death. So let's think through what it means to walk by the Spirit. Two things I want to, I, I think, it, two helpful categories to think through. To walk by the Spirit means to be led by His instruction. If you're going to walk by the Spirit, that means that your general who is telling you what to do, you're going to listen to the instruction that He's saying. To walk by the Spirit is to listen to instruction. And the second thing is to rely on the Spirit's power and not the power that we deceive ourselves to think relies in us. To walk by the Spirit means to listen to what the Spirit says and to not do it in our own strength, but to rely on the Spirit to supply the power. What does it mean to walk in the flesh? To walk in the flesh is to listen to the voices in your heart that are sinful to satisfy its desires that are crying out. You see, a helpful way to think of this might be this. There's two talkers. The battle is mainly fought by listening and believing. There's two voices talking to us. The Holy Spirit is giving us instruction. And our flesh our sinful, selfish desires 
are saying, Sam, go get what you want. You deserve this. You need this. Don't consider them. They don't deserve that anyway. Satisfy me now. So to listen to the flesh is in opposition to listening to the Spirit. And then to act in the flesh is to act uh, autonomously apart from God and to say, I can want what I want and I can go get it. I don't need to rely on anything outside myself. This word walk has the idea of daily submitting to our commander, to our general, which is Christ and through the Spirit. It's the idea of not at one point in time saying, all right, I'm on the Spirit side, but the very word uh, peripateo, the word walk, means consistently throughout the day, the battle never stops raging, and I'm going to listen to one or the other. And this verse says, if I listen to the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So let's think about our commander for a minute. Let's think about the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 16. Starting in verse 5. John 16, starting in verse 5. Jesus says this amazing statement. In John 16, verse 5, He says, But now I'm going to Him who sent me. So He's going to the Father. And none of you ask me where you are going. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the disciples' best friend, has said, I'm leaving. You haven't asked me where I'm going. But because I told you I'm leaving, you're all sad, Jesus says. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. What? (laughs) Jesus says, it's actually better if I leave you. If I don't leave you, then the Helper won't come to you. I would say, you're our Helper. I don't want another Helper. How can you get better than God? The Helper better be God. Or it can't be better, but Jesus is in the flesh. He's right there. The Helper comes and can be present with believers everywhere all the time. Christ is present with us through the Spirit. And then look at what He says. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, here's what He'll do. Three things. Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe Me. 
You want to know what the root of sin is? Exchanging God for idols. They don't believe in God. God comes in the flesh. They don't believe in Him. The root, the most wicked part of our sin is that we're exchanging the created things in place of this wonderful God. And then he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. I'm not going to be here preaching sermons anymore. I'm going to the Father, so the one who's going to teach you about righteousness is the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, and yes, here's how you live, but also righteousness in that the Spirit points us to our righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. And concerning judgment, because of the ruler of this world is judged, right now it seems like Satan's winning. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. This world's dancing according to the beat of his drum, but he's judged already. What if you know that? What if you know that the Holy Spirit has already judged the ruler of this world? And then he says, I still have many things to say to you. Jesus wants to teach more, but you cannot bear them now. When the, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll declare the things that are to come. That word declare the things that are to come is only ever used of God. This is one of the texts that proves the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to instruct with perfect instruction for us in this battle. And then he says, he will glorify me for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit tells us, shows us how we actually are children of God. Look at Romans 8 once, starting in verse 22. We're going to continue going down the road of who is this that we're to walk by? For to walk by the Spirit. What is He here to do? He's here to give instruction, to convict of sin, to point us to righteousness, and to tell us that the world has been judged, that the evil one has been judged. Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All the creation, the plants and the animals and the atmosphere and space, it's all groaning together because man sinned. Man has thrown this world in to groaning, sin through man. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemptions 
of our bodies. For those of us who already have the Holy Spirit in us, we're actually groaning along with creation. We're eagerly waiting for the time when this battle against our sin in our flesh will finally be won. When love becomes the default nature that flows out of us. When selfishness doesn't seem like the default that I'm always battling against. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who sees hope or for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, now here's the key. How are we going to do it in this time of groaning? Likewise, the Spirit helps. Same word Jesus used about the Spirit. Us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what the mind, what is the mind of the Spirit. God knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is gone. Uh, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Well, if the Helper's with us and the Helper knows how to pray even when we don't know how to pray, even when we don't know how to groan, the Spirit groans for us. If we have that type of commander, then God can make a promise like verse 28 that all things are going to work together for good. The Holy Spirit is the one leading us. And then look at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to what? To be conformed into the image of His Son. The goal is love. To win the battle is to have love flow out of our hearts. To love our neighbors as ourselves, To love God more than anything else is the goal. But there's one huge, monstrous enemy. And it's our flesh. Our sinful desire. But God predestined us for this purpose that we become conformed into the image of Christ. This would be hopeless if we didn't know the Spirit was our helper. And the Spirit knows we're weak and the Spirit is going to instruct and empower the battle. And then one another text I want to take you to as we consider the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, now get this, and your labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this church where they have works of love flowing out of them and a steadfast faith. Thank you, God, 
for doing that. Because, verse 5 says, our gospel came to you not only in word, word is what? Instruction, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit came. They didn't just hear the instruction, but your word was so powerful that their lives started to look like a work of love, a work of selflessness. Paul's saying, thank you, God, for this. And then he says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. He's saying, God's done it in our hearts too. We're loving you. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It's amazing. God's salvation isn't just something that gives us a ticket for us to hold on the day when we die to get into heaven, but imitators are already being made. They are already displaying works of love that could not be there apart from the Holy Spirit and the Helper coming with power. But what is it like if we listen to the other talker? I just want to show you one place. We could do this for a long time. We're probably already doing it too long. Jude 16. Listen to how false teachers are described here. These are grumblers. <laughs> it's interesting. If you don't understand grace and what you deserve, and you listen to your flesh, you're always going to feel ripped off. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. You see that? There's, there's a commander talking. You deserve better than that. You're getting ripped off. Are you kidding me? This isn't fair. Those who are grumblers, who are malcontent, have been listening to their own evil desires but you must remember, beloved, isn't that interesting? But you must remember those whom God loved. Remember who you are, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own godly passions, following that voice inside. It is these who cause divisions, right? Those who listen to that voice start chewing up a church. Just the whole thing will be devoured if we listen to our own ungodly passions, following their own ungodly passions. It's as if he's saying, following the one who is not God speaking. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, and then what does verse 19 say at the end there? Devoid 
of the Spirit. You starting to see it? Those who follow the flesh leave a trail of destruction, relational destruction, the opposite of love. And what's their problem? They're listening to their flesh and they're not listening to the Spirit. They're not walking by the Spirit. They're not following the Helper that has given them a clear battle plan. And they are not trusting in His power. When we uh, did the training for biblical counseling, a guy named Nicholas Ellen did a wonderful study on there's two ways to live. We can choose to be God-centered or self-centered. Uh, you can only, in a sense, do one. You can decide to listen to this voice in this moment or listen to this voice in this moment. And yes, they can be close together, but we choose how we live. We can choose to be God-centered, to live for His plan, or we can be God. We can be in, in uh, that position. And here's what He said. Our choices are driven by our thoughts. So if you're a note taker, here's what you write down. I can make two choices. I can live God-centered or I can live self-centered. And our choices are driven by our thoughts. You see how this battle is fought? You don't do anything without thinking or listening. Voices never shut off. You listen to your desires or you listen to Christ's desires through the Spirit. We choose how we live. Our choices are driven by our thoughts. Now get this. Three, our thoughts are motivated by one of the two talkers. You ever notice when you have a big blow-up with somebody? That big blow-up doesn't just start. There's a long conversation going on in your mind before that. You know what? This is the fifth time they've done this to me. How many times should I have to put up with this? How are they ever going to get help if you don't say something? You know, you've been patient long enough. You know what? You deserve to have this. They got their way last time. You want to know? Nothing's been spoken yet. The fight hasn't even happened yet. But the division comes. The motivation for the fight to battle comes because of what you've been listening to. Whoever you listen to will motivate your action. Your action doesn't just accidentally happen. If you want scriptural proof, look at Romans 8, starting in verse 3. For God has done 
what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So let's just think about that. God has done something what God's law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law of God is good. But the law itself wasn't good for us because we looked at the law and said, I want to do the opposite of that. Because the law says, love others, and my heart says, love me. So God did something that the law couldn't do on its own. The law couldn't do it. God, a personal God, had to do something. And He did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God actually wants us to walk the way He wants us to walk. But the law wasn't going to get the job done. Jesus needed to get the job done. Jesus came and died under sin so that you and I can be freed from sin. And then he says this, and this is key. Who walk, this is partway through verse 4, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's two, two ways people walk. One according to the flesh, one according to the Spirit. But those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? Or, or verse 5, I mean. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Why is that person walking around, why is that person living this life of selfishness and hate and bitterness and, and licentiousness? Why is that? Because their mind has been set on the flesh. They've been listening to that commander saying, go get what you want. Isn't that what the verse says? For those who live according to the flesh, that's their action, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So Paul is telling the Galatians, listen to the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Um, you can look up James 3, uh, verses 13 uh, through 18. We don't have time to look at those, but it's just another example of the same thing. The result of listening to lies and cultivating selfish ambition in your mind is that our thoughts... Uh, well then, as we listen, we create thoughts, and when, as we think, motivations are developed in our hearts, and then we act in the flesh, and destruction happens. But Christ has come to deliver us from the present evil age. He's come to send us the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to fight. Point two is going to be really short. Who's the enemy? Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. They're not kind of... You can't kind of take your flesh and work it along with the Spirit. They're exactly opposite 
of each other. They're opposed to each other. Your enemy is you. The old man that needs to be put to death in this wartime process as you're being more and more made into the image of Christ. It isn't somebody outside of you. It's you. It's your own selfishness. In fact, before the new heavens and new earth can come to fruition, the beast and the false prophet are already in the lake of fire. Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Before there can be the new heavens and new earth, you know what needs to happen? The last enemy, man, needs to be destroyed. And for us as Christians, those who have the first fruits need to be fighting this battle, not in our own strength, but by listening to the Spirit and relying on His power as He actually changes us more and more like Him. What does it mean to keep you from doing the things you want to do? The Spirit tries to keep you from being, or the Spirit tries to keep you from being selfish, and your selfish desires try to keep you from loving. They're opposed to each other so that we experience the battle. One of the signs you're a Christian isn't that you don't battle with sin, but it's that you do. Before you're a Christian, you just plan it. You might moralize it, but you're scheming just to get what you want. Third, so now what? And this point's going to be quick as well. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Here's his point. His point is this. What time is it? That's, that's an important thing to think about in war. Do I attack now or later? Is it, is it nighttime where the enemy's not going to expect it? Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying you are already dead to the law, to that system that made you have fear and condemnation and destruction. You already know grace. You already know the one who's made the decisive blow that's victory is sure. He's saying, Galatians, you don't need to be afraid. You need to pick up your weapons and fight. Know what time it is. This isn't the time we coast. You remember uh, when Jonathan is in the mountains with his men and there's 30,000, I think Jonathan has like 1,000 of his men. There's 30,000 chariots from the Philistines right across the valley. His dad with 2,000 other troops are further back, Saul. He's more of a coward. Jonathan gets sick of hiding in these caves. There's no hope to win the battle. There's no strategic move that's going to work here. But Jonathan believes that who can stop the living God? Who will go with me? I'm just going to walk over there. And if they say, come over here, then we know God has given them the victory. Well, his brave armor bearer obviously trust God as well. And they get up and they say, come over here. And in a matter of a moment, there's, by the way, there's two swords in Israel at this time. Jonathan and Saul. If they want to get their plows sharpened, they got to go to the enemy, the Philistines, to sharpen 
their plows. They don't even have a blacksmith. There's two swords. They come walking up to them. And in a matter of a moment, God throws them in a panic. And Jonathan kills 18 of them, just wham, 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 with his sword. And Saul's trying to figure out what's the commotion because he sees the Philistine army going chaotically out of control. And he's trying to figure out what's going on. And counter men, did someone leave? Well, they found out his son left. And he says, bring the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> he's freaking out. you got to do some magic or something. And he's trying to lay hands on the Ark, but then he's looking. He's like, wait. They're all fighting against each other. The Philistines, let's go into battle. The illustration's this. The decisive blow's been struck. Panic is in the enemy's corner. And the time to kill is now. You have the sword of the Spirit. You have the Word of God. You have everything you need for this battle. And your flesh is running scared and it's not time to coast. What if they would have said, they're in a panic. Let's just let them be in a panic and not go win the victory. No. God's delivered the device, the decisive blow in Christ and we need to fight like crazy to kill the old man inside us that's lying to us and leading us into slavery. Because as you follow your sinful desires, you get caught in the cords of sin. But as you listen to your great commander, he leads you into the freedom of the family of God and in relation to God. Yes, you're a slave to God, but you're a slave to the mighty, valiant God of the universe. So, let's know what time it is and let's fight and not gratify the very thing that leads us into slavery. Father, thank You for being a God who knows our weakness that You just went and won our salvation for us. We couldn't do it. We didn't have the power. Thank You, God, that You don't just give the instruction, but leave us powerless to keep it. Father, help us believe in the transforming grace and help of the Holy Spirit as we fight sin in our life. Help us not to be complacent. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.